Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Heroes, we are back to one of my favorite topics this week, accessibility. I got to talk to some of the folks involved in the Unfamiliar Heroes podcast project, which takes a group of disabled, neurodivergent, chronically ill, and or otherwise diverse players and showcases their games that feature characters that also embody those characteristics. This chat got long, so it's going to be two episodes. This first one deals more with the physical accessibility needs of the players, and the second episode will focus more on what goes into playing a disabled character. Before now, my accessibility episodes have had a major focus on visual impairments, because that is my wheelhouse. Having this group of guests, Faye, Anna, and Jordan, with a range of perspectives and experiences let us shed new light on this topic. I hope you'll find value in both parts, and know that we aren't done yet with this conversation. Let's get to the show. Joining me this week, I've got several members of the Unfamiliar Heroes Project with me. Um, I've got Faye Onyx, Anna Murray, and Jordan Green are all here to talk about this exciting podcast uh, that Faye is at the helm of. And uh, before we jump in too much into what exactly that project is, uh, welcome everybody to the show. Mm, Thank you so much. (laughs) Hi. Hey. And, uh, Unfamiliar Heroes is a is a podcast project that aims to incorporate uh, both players and characters who are disabled or neurodiverse or have a chronic illness or have this different perspective in some way. And accessibility is something that we've talked about on Modifier before, and I'm looking forward to talking about it again in this context with these folks' expertise. Uh, and so with that in mind, uh, why don't we have you guys introduce yourselves a little bit where people might know you from, what sort of expertise you are bringing to this project and to these characters. Um, why don't we start with Faye? Okay, so I'm basically going to start by doing just a little bit of kind of introduction for uh, Unfamiliar Heroes in terms of kind of the context of its history, because um, so basically Unfamiliar Heroes is a podcast project that is part of the larger umbrella that is the Writing Alchemy podcast, which is my podcast. So I just kind of wanted to give you guys a little bit of a sense of how that all fits together a little bit, because the Writing Alchemy podcast basically kind of started with me uh, telling fairy tales that I wrote with social justice themes that are also aimed at capturing the liveliness and humor that fairy tales can have. And I would have guests on and we would talk about social justice themes. And that's something that will be continuing as well. Um, And one of the things that developed out of that was a major focus on disability. And in the fairy tales, uh, I have characters with disabilities, chronic illnesses, and diverse minds. And in the process of doing the research to create those characters, it kind of became clear how rarely um, characters with disabilities um, are depicted completely well. Even like characters that are good representations often have like some negative patterns happening with them in terms of how they're being represented. So somehow this kind of um, linked over into me deciding to join my other pa- great passion, which is uh, tabletop role playing games. And basically bringing in people uh, with chronic illnesses and disabilities and diverse minds to play characters who are disabled, chronically ill, have diverse minds, and and to basically bring people in to create a, a broader scope for what disability can be outside of these negative patterns uh, than mm-hmm. I could ever do on my own. And so that's kind of how tabletop role-playing games um, kind of entered into this because it's kind of all about – it's still kind of all collectively about telling stories and telling stories that are hopefully very entertaining and fun but also maybe – are making room for types of stories and themes and types of characters that are not commonly represented. So that's kind of 
a little of a background package for that. Awesome. Um, and... Uh, I also should introduce myself too. That's <laughs> just my project. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm basically as far as like the perspective I'm bringing. So I have a, a physical disability, which is I have a, a chronic back condition, and I'm also neurodiverse. So uh, that's a word that I use instead of mental illness, because it kind of gets at the idea that. Some things that we consider mental illnesses are different ways of beings, just different ways of having a brain function that have mm-hmm. some benefits and some downsides, which is definitely my experience. So I have anxiety, um, and that's in part because my brain is really good at simultaneously doing big picture and small picture at once, which is super great if you're planning something or you're trying to write a story, or there's a lot of things it's great for, but it's also really overwhelming. Um, and that's where a lot of the anxiety comes from because if I'm like doing big picture and small picture at once, my brain is really good at anticipating all of the possible negative outcomes of something, which is helpful and also can lead to stress and all that anxiety stuff that, that is kind of where it comes from. And so that's kind of, um, a perspective I'm bringing, um, I'm also a, a queer person who's asexual and I'm genderqueer, um, among other things, many other things. Um, and my main experience with a lot of my identities, like the vast majority of them, is that of being them being invisible. And... Um, because I'm, I'm not someone who like, you look at me and you're like, oh, you're gender variant or, (laughs) oh, you're super queer. You know, like, I'm just not someone who, who looks like that. Um, in part because I'm really sensitive. I have really, uh, sensitive skin, uh, among other things. And so like, I have to like dress for like comfort clothing that I can comfortably, you know, wear and not get like sore spots because the fabric's too rough. Like, you know, so a lot of that is kind of shaped around this kind of basic necessity aspect um, of things. And so it's kind of like, I'm not obviously, um, whatever, you know, that means visibly queer or genderqueer or anything. And, and, and then also with my disabilities, they're both, they're both like, both of those things are invisible as well. And so Mm -hmm. it's that kind of experience of having all these identities with me that people are assuming aren't there. Um, Mm -hmm. And also experiencing the kind of like having to constantly come out about them if I need to get a need met or, you know, there's this kind of process that happens that's kind of like a constant sense of like prove yourself. Uh, you have to, there's just a whole unique set of, of ways that oppression interacts when your mm-hmm. identities are invisible. Um, it's just kind of, I consider it kind of a, a unique experience of oppression because there's this additional pressure to like prove yourself, justify yourself, having to explain yourself to others. Um, while at the same time, it has this kind of aspect of safety of I'm not necessarily being targeted for street harassment aimed at people who are visibly queer or visibly gender variant. So it's, it's, yeah, (laughs) that's a lot of it. (laughs) No, that's, that's perfect. Okay, cool. (laughs) So like Faye, I'm invisibly disabled. I have what's called hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a bucket of fun. I also have a couple mental illnesses, which similarly are buckets of fun. And I just also really like having, and I GM and play Pathfinder mostly, but I also really like playing with new players. And so this was an awesome opportunity to combine a couple of my passions participating in the Unfamiliar Heroes podcast because... I've had some great experiences with new players because they just think outside the box and aren't confined by the, oh, well, you never split the party. You never grab crocodiles and shove them into bags. This was a (laughs) different incident. So (laughs) I've just had really positive experiences with new players, and I really, really enjoy working with their energy towards and 
the game that is being played. So that's really awesome. I, I think new players is one of the things we definitely want to talk about. Um, and then we've got Jordan as well. Cool. Anna, did you want to say anything more? Oh yeah, I'm, I guess I could say that I'm also a bi woman, and that was really just like in, ex- encompassing the invisibleness of my existence <laughs> is really important to me. Like yeah. making it visible. Um, I don't really have any cool projects beyond my really kind of jumble of a tumbler. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's about it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, so my name is Jordan, and uh, you probably, uh, most listeners will probably only know me from Vey's show, Unfamiliar Heroes. Uh, I was the GM for the Monster Hearts stuff, which was pretty fun. And I don't know what to say about me, because I just live my life, but um, I'm a black, um, black cis dude living in Seattle, Washington, um, and I'm from San Francisco. Uh, I have ADHD. Um, I'm not sure if that's considered a uh, invisible disability or on the neurotypical spectrum. Um, I or a typical uh, neuro atypical spectrum or whatever. I spend way too much time reading uh, capital D discourse on Tumblr, so I just like <laughs> tend yeah. to like stay away from like falling into camps and just uh, speak about my own experience. Yeah, I. Um, I'm bisexual. I have two cats. Like, I don't know what else to talk about. <laughs> no, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, we were bonding over our, all of our cats earlier. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to go clean up some cat, yeah. cat stuff earlier. Yeah. Awesome. So just in case this is anyone's jumping on point for Modifier, uh, like I mentioned, we've discussed accessibility in gaming before. Uh, but in case there are listeners who don't know, I am also... Uh, disabled, and it could sort of be a, an invisible disability if, if folks don't know. Um, but I'm legally blind with uh, albinism, so uh, sometimes that flies under the radar, sometimes it doesn't. It kind of depends on on uh, what I'm doing and how I'm feeling. Um, and that is sort of the the tack that we have taken on the show before. I've had a couple guests on, like Acer Tolentino and Elsa Henry, um, and we talk a lot about accessibility from a visual disability perspective since that's our wheelhouse uh, but I'm really looking forward to tackling some of this stuff from a broader perspective so this is going to be very cool and I'm curious I you know looking looking through the ambition for the show um, and it sounds like you're all folks who have gamed before you're running games now mm-hmm. have you played characters who have a, a disability or an illness or something like that or, or that reflects your own perspective like that before because I was I was thinking back through my own experience and I don't know if that's something that I've ever uh, purposefully done so I'm, I'm curious to hear can I answer first yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it depends on what you define uh, define as disability right because like there's a couple of gaming systems in which there's there's something that happens in which like if your character sees this thing or if your character um, interacts with this thing, it's an immediate trigger and like they can't function in the way that they normally would function. Um, and so in that regard, like White Wolf has this, I think some Arkham Horror has this, I think. And so in that regard, if we're talking about sort of like invisible disabilities, like things people wouldn't know about you until you're actually in that situation. Uh, yeah, I have played characters that have these sort of invisible disabilities. I also think a little bit about like the framing of disability being uh, not as if um, it's a physical or mental thing and that's uh, like in which the blame is put on the individual, but more so like there's a mismatch between like the person and the environment. And so like, I think about that a lot in terms of like, what my disability is, particularly ADHD, um, because, like, in, like, I think about, like, when folks are, like, oh, like, ADHD didn't exist before, like, 1990 when, like, Pfizer wanted to invent Adderall or something like that, and I think about, well, yeah, actually, ADHD did exist before, but we didn't need to be in a world where, like, I needed to be hyper-focused all of the freaking time just to, like, I don't know, do something in the world um, or that like I was able to find careers that adapted to my skill set 
or like schools that adapted to my skill set in different ways. So um, I think about that um, in in those terms is like I feel like if every character I play has a little bit of me in them, um, then like I have played characters that are purposefully disabled in very specific ways, but like they don't um, exist in a world where their disability is seen as a disability. Hmm, that's interesting. Oh, I've played a. I have a character in Pathfinder Society. Because Pathfinder is the system I play, like, 98% of the time. Mm-hmm. Who is technically disabled, but it's the disability as superpower trope. Um, mm-hmm. There's this class mm-hmm. called Oracle. Yeah, which, I love Oracles. <laughs> and it's mechanically a great class. Great. Um, she's a great character, and she's really effective at what she does, but her disability is a superpower. Um, it's kind of got some harmful tropes wrapped into it that I wouldn't necessarily have thought about before this um, experience with Unfamiliar Heroes, but she's a fun character to play for reasons that have nothing to do with mechanics. <laughs> uh, but as for characters like myself, I would make the worst adventurer, so... No. <laughs> so basically, this is all exactly the reason why I started Unfamiliar Heroes was because I was um, in role-playing games like in my personal life and I realized that despite the fact that I was writing stories with awesome kick-ass like neurodiverse chronically ill or disabled characters that I wasn't bringing it into the role-playing games that I was playing even though I was bringing other parts of myself and my life into those role-playing games such as uh, being queer that was something that was present in the games and I was kind of wondering like you know in general why wasn't I bringing these things into the games I was playing and after thinking about it it was basically that part of the way the systems were constructed and framed kind of discouraged certain types of characters from being created um, especially for the system that I'm playing a lot right now, which is Pathfinder, there is this aspect of, like, for the average Pathfinder game, you need to have a character who's willing to, like, go out and do dangerous things. And for myself, as a person with uh, a physical disability, as a person with high anxiety, I couldn't imagine my character being someone like myself, And I couldn't imagine creating a character like myself that would actually want to do those things. And I kind of realized that, you know, although that kind of game is awesome, you know, there's like whole other types of games where, you know, the adventure comes to you. Um, And I realized that there's, you know, this larger diversity of like stories and all of these characters who were people more like me that they weren't getting space because of in part how game systems were constructed and in part because of the sorts of stories we're used to telling in games um, and that they just weren't getting that kind of space and so that's actually part of why I created Unfamiliar Heroes was to go into game systems and try to expand that space and make more space for um, characters with disabilities, um, neurodiverse characters. And so like the first game of Unfamiliar Heroes where Jordan's a GM um the character I specifically chose to play in that was a character who has to spend half their time lying down. Um, and so that was a very specific thing that I wanted to do because that felt like one of those things that society always tells me makes me unheroic, makes me a person who is not just not a hero, not you know, not the central character of anything that that makes me broken or incomplete. And so I was like, you know, because I've always had that message, 
you know, about that part of myself, you know, playing a character like that who can then do heroic things was very meaningful to me. And it's a, I guess part of the goal of the project is to expand out. Okay. Awesome. So making these spaces and making these games uh, have this representation and playing these believable complex characters going to your your notes that you sent over i think you started in a really good place and that's you know starting by making the physical place accessible for the players that, that have these experiences want to play so thank you guys for sharing those those experiences i was i was just personally curious about that um it's something that i got to thinking about while while writing up my own notes for the show um so we'll we'll back up a little bit and we'll start we'll start with that we'll start with the actual the physical space for the real life human players Absolutely. of these games and and the the stuff that they're bringing uh, cool. Making a space and making a, a game accessible to players of all types. Um, where do we start? Does anyone else want to jump in? Uh. <laughs> I have so many thoughts. I, I don't want to like just dominate everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I I guess I can jump in a little bit. I mean, I think w- w- it depends. Like, I, I have really enjoyed playing... Uh, unfamiliar heroes and really just linking up with Faye. Like I, um, I really just cannot describe how great it's been. Um, cause I've played like, um, I played like Pathfinder and White Wolf and a bunch of RPGs and like uh, specifically tabletops. And it all, for me, it always starts with the game. Like it starts with the game mechanics yes. and it starts with. Um, it starts with like, what system are you using to create this world? And, and, and it's so, like, it's so important to think about, like, how the mechanics lend themselves or don't lend themselves to a player's enjoyment. And, but also just the GM's ability to build Mm -hmm. that world and to imagine what kind of, like, PCs and NPCs exist in this world. Um, so it kind of starts, like way, if you're thinking about it way upstream, mm-hmm. it starts um, way before you choose. Um, way before you choose the system, it starts with like the people who create the systems, right? Yeah. Um, and then you have like, if you have these systems that you can choose from, then you can like sort of move to choosing in this bevy of systems that allows for folks of different abilities to come together and cre- really join in in collective yes. storytelling. Right. And like, and that's kind of really cool. And then like from that point, I think for me as a GM, it really starts once I have the like mechanic down, it really is about like really thinking through some challenges that your characters are going to have and making it unique to those characters, but not making it so like people who go through like I had this experience with other GMs before I started GMing with um, familiar heroes where like I was playing this game where this person like I love this story because it's so great like we um, we were playing Pathfinder and his was a low like this GM's particular world was like low fantasy sort of like your standard medieval Europe um, so low magic fantasy and like Orcs were a discriminated class against, and I was playing a high orc, or sorry, a half orc, and I was just like, you know, I was the only, I was one of two black people playing, and I, like, one day before the game, I told them, like, yo, I play these games not to think about, like, some of the really crappy (laughs) things that I deal with on a regular basis. And the last thing that I want to do is come play a game in which, like, my character is called, like, all sorts of foul things and discriminated against. Like, I don't need to play Pathfinder to do that. I can, like, I can just, like, go play Jordan Green's life <laughs> to do that, you know? Yeah. And, and so, like, as a GM, for me, it's really important to think about, like, how do I make things challenging for characters who have different abilities, um, who abilities may make them disabled in this world and the, and the system that I've created, but doesn't take away from their experience first as a player and second as a character of growth and like 
understand like their ability to tell their story in an honest way. So I think it starts with like choosing the right system, but also for GMs to really think about like how to create worlds in which people are valued and seen, but still go through challenges that really connect us to sort of this like collective humanity that we have. Yeah. It sounds like so then a really important first step is is having this conversation like um like a session zero or something that you can actually address the issues that you've you've got right totally um, yeah. and that your players may have um, yeah for me, I always try to like make like I always try to have like a character creation session before even as a player before we even start the game. So just so like the GM and all of the players can get to know the characters because you've been like creating this really cool character in your head and you want people to know you want. I always want my players to be just like two or three steps ahead of where their characters are. And so they're able to like adjust the characters interactions as need be as they learn. Um, So a session zero is always good for me. Uh, And I think to build on what Jordan was saying is I think there's a lot of things that are assumed about um, in kind of kind of the sort of community culture that has kind of built up around role playing games. There's just a lot of assumptions being made in terms of what players are going to consent to and what players are going to enjoy, Mm -hmm. where it's just assumed instead of a conversation and so for example how much oppression do we want in our world that it's just kind of assumed oh we're going to have a world with lots of oppression and sexism and homophobia a lot of people just kind of jump into that and of course maybe we'll have queer characters and oppressed groups but it's like well hey not everyone wants to be in a space where they're hit with the oppression they live with. Maybe they want to be in a space where their character can overcome challenging obstacles that don't directly relate to the oppression in their everyday lives. Yep. So that's kind of the the thing that I've been kind of learning as I do this because I have a whole bunch of um, people who filled out my participation survey and it's allowed me to kind of create a different process for starting a role-playing game than it used to be, uh, which is like, it used to be more like someone decides they want to GM or is up for GMing and they pick some stuff and then people come and make characters. Whereas for this, it's kind of like, what does everyone want? Uh, what kind of game are you looking for? Um, let's have some conversations about what kind of content uh, if there's any kind of content you don't want in your role-playing system um, or, or, sorry, or don't want in the game. Um, and so it's kind of like starting with these conversations of, hey, this person is not okay with conflict within the party. This person doesn't want certain kinds of intense content. Uh, this person is not going to be comfortable with um, extreme oppression being part of the story. And... And starting with that and starting with the people who are going to be playing and kind of being like, oh, well, this person has trouble with uh, keeping track of things. So let's play a rules light system where there's less to keep track of. This person um, likes more crunch in a system. So it's kind of like you, you start at a a place that is normally just assumed. Like normally you just skip this step, this conversation about what people want, what people want to avoid, uh, what people's basic needs are. And there's just a bunch of assumptions and people just kind of go on. And we're kind of starting at like an earlier space uh, in terms of what are people's access needs uh, around the game. Also physically in terms of... uh, are we going to meet online or in person? Um, what's going to work better for people? Uh, if a person has a wheelchair, we need to meet in a wheelchair accessible space. And is my house wheelchair accessible enough for you? Here's the things about my house that are accessible. Here's the things about my house that might be less accessible to wheelchair user. Um, is this going to work for you? Um, so it's kind of this stepping back from assumption. I just want to throw something out there that, like, limits make you more creative. So if somebody's like, oh, well, Mm -hmm. I'm putting all these constraints on myself. Well, that's what makes 
like that's where creative creativity really comes into play mm-hmm. and it um my husband's an artist and so i before i spent a lot of time with him i didn't really think about it but it's like he talks a lot about the creative process so it's like mm-hmm. oh i'm a gm i i can't cover these topics well that forces me out of a rut that forces me to think about to reevaluate things get more creative and i think that's really important and if you're playing a game theoretically you're there to be creative and look at creative <laughs> solutions and yeah. pc plans Absolutely. tend to be very creative yeah no i i 100 percent agree um i work as a designer um when i'm not working as a you know when i'm not doing this and like constraints are just so important and I, for me it's also all about like what are what are you trying to get your characters to do like as a gm like there is you know, there's that saying, there's a million ways to skin a cat, which I hate, but like, there's a million paths and they can all lead to that one thing that you want them to do. And like, the best GMs that I've had and seen interact, like, have players that do the most outlandish things. And like, the GM has to be like, oh, well, you totally broke my world in this really specific way that I had not thought about. And now I have to like, conform the entire world around it and sometimes you end up going on these side quests that are really interesting right Mm -hmm. because like one character was like i am definitely against this one thing happening and so it forces the gm to be like well how do i get like these characters to do this thing and why do i want them to get do this thing and like that sort of like does it get to the undergirding of the world and if so then like this character by just saying, or this player by simply saying, I don't want this thing to exist in my world, mm-hmm. could essentially, like, create this whole new adventure and archetype. And that's mm-hmm. that's really exciting for me. Yeah. And, and I think one of the other things is just the fact of starting by trying not to make assumptions about what people are going to want can change things. Like, uh, just... Um, doing this project, I I got a a message online from someone who basically, um, in the process of just thinking about my project, filling out the participation survey, realized that the gaming groups they were in weren't really uh, meeting their their needs. um, And that that prompted them to have a conversation with their gaming group. And it kind of seemed like everyone in the gaming group had just assumed that the other people wanted some some sort of thing to be going on socially. And so they all were reducing their own enjoyment for what they thought was everyone else wanted. But no one actually wanted the thing that they were doing socially. And... And that's kind of the power of assumptions is we all have – that. there's enough of a kind of generic culture, um, even though there's a lot of diversity in that, that it's really easy to get locked into an assumption about how the game is supposed to happen that no one in the entire group is actually wanting. Um, and that – the act of stepping back and being like, well, what do we really want? Let's go back to the core. What is the core fun that we all want to have together? And what is everyone's – and what helps everyone have the most fun together? Um, just the act of doing that can change the tone in a way that um, people feel more free to uh, to – you know, say if if they need something changed. It just, it can change the social dynamic in really helpful ways. Um, the other thing I did want to mention that, um, because neurodiversity is such a big part of the project, but just in general as well, that there's uh, a couple systems uh, that we've been using. Um, one is something kind of like the X card system that... Um, I believe, Megan, you've mentioned on a previous podcast, but it's basically the idea that mm-hmm. if someone is uncomfortable with a social dynamic, needs to pause, or they're uncomfortable with game content, or something's going on for them that's not okay, uh, they can do a quick time out, and, um, mm-hmm. and that time out then allows us as a group to then discuss, hey, what's going on? How can we change things? And if there's content that came up that, hey, I forgot to mention that I have a needle phobia, um, 
you know, which I don't think I've actually personally, I do personally have a needle phobia and I don't think I've ever actually personally remembered to mention in the, um, accessibility needs like discussion that I have it. It hasn't yet come up in a game, but it might. And so if I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot to mention I have a needle phobia. Um, and you know, let's just change this little scene. So they're not getting an injection. Instead, they're doing something else. Um, you know, that's that's kind of uh, kind of like the timeout system, and then the other thing that we have is the the idea that we're going to as a group generally try to avoid oppressive language, and that if it comes up, uh, we'll replace it, and you know, kind of like no shame, you know, but uh, you know, we'll just you know because this stuff's so trained into us, but that we're going to try to replace it as we go uh, if it comes up. And that's actually kind of interesting because um, when we start talking about access, one of the things is like in terms of people not having to either as listeners for my podcast, but also like players not having to experience people using a lot of uh, oppressive language. So like the word crazy, for example, is used by a lot of people a lot of the time. But using crazy to mean something that is bad or extreme perpetuates stereotypes around mental illness that people with mental illnesses um, are extreme, that they're dangerous, that they're threats. And these things actually, those stereotypes have literally killed people when police officers have interacted with people with neurodiversity and they felt threatened by them. So, like, these stereotypes have real impacts on people. And so it's like, yeah, I don't personally want to be using those words in that way and I would like people not to be using them. At the same time, one of the players we had for the Inspectors game, which is not yet online, but will be online soon, has... um, yeah, um, has mm-hmm. basically was was willing to talk about this, but has brain damage uh, that makes here basically kind of a little bit stuck at the language Z was using when Z was 16. So it's like, okay, so we want to do this thing. And also, even in this thing that is intended to create access, here's a person whose unique makeup makes that thing potentially a, a challenge. So it's kind of like the, the kind of decision we came to is if this becomes up a lot, then maybe we'll kind of do some correction of some of them and not others. Let's see how often it comes up. And it turns out that just setting the attention around language, it basically didn't come up. But that's the sort of thing is like coming up with systems that are going to work for everyone and, and the idea that no matter what your system is, whether it's an X card system or whatever the system, you're going to have to make adjustments potentially based on what does a person need to access that system. And that kind of flexibility, that starting it with the conversation and having the flexibility of pretty much everything's up for change depending on what people need. Because the whole goal is for us to have fun telling an awesome story together. Like everything else is optional. <laughs> And and getting that conversation started, so you mentioned that you have a survey that you've been using for Unfamiliar Heroes, and uh, I'm wondering for folks who are running their own games, you know, compiling their own groups and and trying to gauge interest and things like that, um, how how much of that uh, do you think that they need to do? Like, should there be a checklist or or is just saying, you know, come to me with concerns or things that you have, is is that enough or somewhere in between? Well, I think it... I think a checklist... Oh, please, Jordan. No, checklist. That's all I really wanted to say. Uh, Faye's <laughs> really knowledgeable about this, but, like, I'm a fan of checklists. <laughs> awesome, um, yeah. I think there's so much, like, if you place the burden on other people to come to you with something that you feel like that may, that end up me causing a snafu or a kink in the game, then, like, I, you know, I don't know what's not normal for other people. I know what's normal for me, right? And so, like, yeah, it ends up creating this undue burden and everybody feels weird. Yes. But if, yes. Yeah. But as a GM or as a, as a organizer of games, because I think Faye organizes more than uh, just GMs, I think it's really, really important to have a checklist just so you can just standardize that process. 
Yeah, and I that absolutely true. I think that it does depend on the circumstances and how people know each other. But I think the the situation is like as the example of. I mean, I don't know everything about that one particular group of people who everyone was trying to conform to what they thought the other people wanted. Um, I don't have all the details on that, but I think it's really easy for people to get into that situation. And people who are neurodiverse or have disabilities especially people with invisible disabilities are really used to society expecting you to conform Mm -hmm. to kind of whatever is generally accepted. So it, it, and it's always a situation of like, you feel like you're disrupting things. So the idea of like, come to me if you have issues can be nice if you're friends, but there's usually kind of a reluctance that happens in terms of like, you know, for me, it's like, it's always my job to do this. There's always so much work involved. There's this sense of like, when I'm, when I'm having to like, always have to be like, advocate for myself. And here's how, here's what I'm needing. It it feels when, when there's not a space for it pre-set up, like a checklist is one option. Mm -hmm. If that's not they're ahead of time. Then the act of coming forward with something feels like a disruption. And that makes it harder for people to do that. And it makes it more likely that people will just not say anything. Mm-hmm. So I think that it doesn't necessarily have to be as extensive. Like my my survey is like, or yeah, participation survey is it's got some demographic stuff in it. It's like, what types of games do you like? Uh, how can you record? You know, so there's a lot of stuff in there that you wouldn't need. But I think the idea of having a few things of like, what content would you be most excited about? What is the fun? What's the most fun part of role-playing games to you? Are there kinds of content that you know right now you would like to avoid? Do you have any access needs that are either physical or social or in terms of game system? And, and just the act of asking a few questions and it doesn't have to be like stressful because that's the other thing is like you can end up in a situation if you have so many questions that it gets overwhelming for people. People are reluctant to answer, takes too much time. But if you can hone in on a few key questions of what do you, what would you enjoy the most and how, how can I help you have the most enjoyment and the most access to this physically, socially, and game system wise, you know, that can start the conversation and make space for the conversation. I also want to throw out there that if you're the disabled person and you have to constantly be like, oh, my access needs are X, Y, and Z, it's fucking exhausting. Yes. So like creating a space at the beginning, I feel is super important Especially if it's like, oh, everybody has access needs. Like, you can't teleport to the second story of a building, so that's why we have stairs. Yeah. Um, Yes. So that came up a lot, because I was doing some other stuff that Unfamiliar Heroes was excellent prop work for. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. I also just, like, for me, like, I just, I think about this thing of cognitive load a lot, um, and, like, how much... Uh, folks who are in traditionally marginalized spaces have to have to think about how much they're the other, right? And so when people are like constantly having to talk about the ways in which they're different, it actually detracts from the people enjoying the game um, and people enjoying yes. um, enjoying coming together as a community. And um, whether that's a community of gamers or like just storytellers and like. I feel like it goes against the the point of gaming, which is to bring people together. Um, and so, as much pre- like as much as it sounds onerous and laborious to do all of this prep work beforehand, it really is about creating uh, creating an experience where people from different backgrounds can come together and like tell a story, which is awesome. Um, mm. And so, like, that's the work of a GM or a facilitator or an organizer um, is to make sure that people have these sort of access needs. And I would hope that folks listening to this would think about, like, I'm listening to this because I want to learn and do better than I did yesterday. And so, like, I want to make sure that people who are coming to my show, or, I mean, to my uh, 
GM thing, my game session, um, is doing is doing better. Yeah. Absolutely. Know. Yeah, absolutely. What, what both of you two said. And like to build on what Anna said, everyone has access needs. The act of asking everyone about their access needs makes it less about otherizing a person with a physical disability or chronic illness or a diverse mind because everyone does have access needs. And even people who aren't specifically neurodiverse um, might be sensitive to certain types of content. Uh, you know, even people without physical disabilities, maybe they have a job where they're on their feet all the day and they would rather have a very comfortable chair and that would make gaming so much better, you know. And so taking access out of the otherizing context of you person who has a something that's not standard, you tell me you you have to bring it up. You feel like you're disrupting things, even if I'm very welcoming, it can still feel like a disruption taking it out of that context, which is very otherizing, which I think kind of Jordan was talking about, into the everybody has access needs, like what Anna was talking about. And here's the time where all of us talk about our access needs. It can make a better game for everyone, and it's less putting this pressure on specific people to feel like they're more different and to feel like they have to interrupt things to do all this work to bring up, here's what I need. And um, something I learned from the thing I was participating in was all my access needs are met at this time. Because uh, people's access needs change. Yes. And so Mm. if you're in a big group, you can always say, like, my access needs are met at this time. Because maybe your chair is comfortable enough, but it it can change. Or the space is quiet enough. Or it's... And then if it gets too loud, you can always say, my access needs are not met. But I, I like the phrase, my access needs are met at this time. Yeah. That's a good one. I, I want to talk a little bit more about physical uh, accessibility for the players in terms of uh, like game components and things like that. Uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about this in previous episodes, things that people may want to keep in mind for character sheets, like large print mm-hmm. and screen readers for PDFs. And uh, I think we talked a little bit about there are fonts for folks with dyslexia mm-hmm. um, and different approaches you can take. But do, do you three have any... Uh, any tools that you think uh, would be good for players and GMs to be aware of or any thoughts or advice for folks designing these tools and these these components? I always try to I'm, I'm also a fat person. So I think like in terms of physical needs, one of the things that I always try to do is have chairs that don't have uh, side armrests and things like Thank that. Thank you. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Oh, thank you. I am also very large, and so I can't sit in chairs with arms, generally. Yeah, so I think about that a lot. Um, I think about having clear sight lines, and also, uh, for me, so, like, can people all see each other? Um, because I've, like, had converse- group conversations with deaf people, and, like, you know, sight lines are really important in that situation. Yeah, those are those are the two things I tend to think about is sight lines and um, physical uh, physical accommodations. Um, so my husband has some weird undiagnosed brain thing, but he has some sort of auditory processing thing where he needs to lip read along with hearing. Otherwise, he gets wildly inaccurate information out of sounds. So once I've sort of figured out that if he can lip read. I will make sure that he is sitting next to the GM whenever we play, regardless of who it is. Because, like, the sight lines is really important for him, because otherwise he just can't follow along. And that's that's something very simple that I think, that I wouldn't have thought of even six years ago, because I didn't realize it about him. But another thing that I'm personally kind of looking for is I'm starting a game with a friend who has dyscalculia, and so getting a dice roller for her that also will do the adding because she would love to play. Mm. But if there's like serious adding, she can't, all the fun gets sucked out of it for her. I think they exist. I'm almost positive they exist. I haven't done a whole lot of research, but I did take that task upon myself. So it's like roll a d20 and add six. If you just tell the mm-hmm. dice roller that information, it will 
give it to you. So yeah, I believe those do exist. That- oh yeah, for sure. We can swap some links. <laughs> awesome, thanks. And I think, you know, one of the things is just, for me, I am, although I've only recorded three of these games at this point, I'm in the process of scheduling a lot uh, of different games and planning a lot of different games. And, you know, looking at the access needs of all of these people and thinking about how do I incorporate these access needs, people have stated. And, you know, a lot of them do kind of come down to gaming system accessibility, And also, I just wanted to say, like, in terms of, like, my project, one of the things also that's a big deal for me is trying to welcome in new players, because that's another thing, is that certain groups of people have been less welcomed into certain, you know, gaming community in terms of just being physically able to get access to things. And historic gaming systems also have been very calculation heavy. And so it's very exciting to be in a space where there's these whole new generation of rules light systems. I think kind of right now we're kind of in a bit of a explosion of rules light systems, um, which is super exciting in terms of being able to have people who have dyscalculia or have various kinds of brain damage or cognitive things that come out of various chronic illnesses or uh, other things going on where rules light systems can be really great for people because they cut out a lot of this looking things up in books and mm-hmm. and maybe combat goes faster because you have maybe a little more stuff encapsulated in a single dice roll and so the ability to have a system that you know, with some people, if you were playing Pathfinder with them, depending on how uh, what's going on with their minds, they might be t- trapped in a situation where, like, they have to constantly get help from people about what their character can do. And for some people, that's cool. But for some people, that can feel very disempowering. And, mm-hmm. you know, stepping back to a rules light system can mean that people can fully grab more fully grasp their options and therefore engage more fully in the game and have a greater sense of agency so that's kind of one of the things that i've been thinking about um in terms of trying to present rules light systems also cost um i definitely know that some of the people that are engaging with the the project like i need to be able to say here's a free game system (laughs) or this game system is so simple you can come and learn it right then with the one person who has the book and we're good to go and and so that's another thing that people don't always think about because especially some people with certain kinds of disabilities or chronic illnesses can be on very low incomes Uh, i mean you know there's Mm low-income people who who are able-bodied too and that's a concern as well for access for low-income people but i think there's also specifically that that you know people especially people with visible disabilities there can be chronic underemployment or there can be people in situations where maybe they're not currently employed or that's not an option for them because of they're needing to focus on their own well-being and that can leave people in very low-income situations and so um, having access to something like lasers and feelings for example which is a free game um, that is one page with pretty much no addition at all even almost none almost none very little math let's sorry (laughs) let's just say very little math being a rules light system for example might be a system that would then be accessible uh and and you mentioned earlier about coordinating these games online are there any accessibility needs that come to any of y'all's minds uh that are unique to playing games online that people may not have thought about or may not be expecting One thing I've run into already is just some people are going to do better with video and audio together. And then there's technical challenges with trying to get video and audio together in terms of Mm -hmm. um, greater bandwidth needed. I would just say with anything with that bandwidth speed, if you can make sure that whatever you're using allows for people who are maybe calling in on a phone or maybe who doesn't have access to Wi-Fi and not have that be a built-in assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, it's real like 
really, really important, particularly for folks who may not live in places where they can get those kind of services. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I would also say just that for some people, the capacity to record online can be very helpful. So with one of the players that I've already had um, has multiple chemical sensitivity where uh, what was required for here to be able to come to the game in person was for everyone to be able to be sent free. And that in circumstances where that's not an option, Z has to be able to record online in order to participate. Mm. So there's certain things with chronic illnesses that can mean there is a greater ability to access games online. Whereas I have other people who are like, I will do much better recording in person because that's going to help me engage with people. I need to see people. I'm primarily visual. That you know. So there's, it's really diverse in what people need. Cool. Um, was there anything else from that first part of your notes that you want to make sure we touch on from the uh, accessibility for participants? Yeah, so there's a couple uh, additional things, which is that I realized when I was l looking around online for like, hey, I want to link people to some basic stuff about how to play a role-playing game and what that's all about uh, for people who've never been parts of role-playing games before. I realized that there's actually not that much stuff for people who really have never played a role-playing game. And a lot of the introductory stuff that's out there actually uses a surprising amount of jargon that is, like, mm. puts up barriers and stuff, at least from what I found. Maybe there's some secret place I haven't found. But I basically wrote my own new player information page, which is basically my attempt to create that resource because I was not finding it online. Another thing that I guess I, I should mention is that I, I just recently wrote a, a gaming system to tackle the fact that I really wanted there to be like a rules light version of Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder that had much, much, much less to keep track of and much less calculation, but that had some of that grander scope for magic and character creativity that Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder have, as opposed to Dungeon World, which I, I don't have a huge amount of experience with, but at least as written in the book, it's a little more limiting in Dungeon World. And there's still like hit points and stuff to keep track of, which can be challenging as well as spells per day. And so because I wanted a grander scope for magic, I basically took the core system for lasers and feelings, which is a very like minimal calculation system, and basically decided that the harder the thing you're attempting is, if you completely fail, the worse it's going to be. <laughs> um, and, and the bigger the effect you're going for, if you fail, the worse the effects are going to be. And basically decided that will keep magic from being too powerful. And I made uh, a game system that was kind of based on lasers and feelings, but that actually spells out a bunch of different potential powers you could have for bards or for mages or for fighters or rogues. Um, and actually kind of spells out a whole bunch of different options. So it's still kind of an alpha testing, but I put it up online anyway, because why not? Um, and yeah. and also just like, you know, um, I want it to be available for people to test and give me feedback. And the feedback forum is coming soon, probably will be up by the time this episode goes online. Um, so if people wanted to give that a try, I would definitely enjoy some, um, respectful feedback on that. Cool. D does it have a name or a working title? Oh, yes. Magic Goes Awry. Excellent. And, and so, yeah, so the whole point of that, again, is like, I was like, I want, I'm, I'm in the process of scheduling some games that are like Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder type games. Um, and I'm like, I really want a system I can actually have people playing that are new to this because like trying to get a new player to play Pathfinder on the radio or essentially on a podcast, I'm like, you know what? That's not going to be very good listening because there's just so much technical stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, how can I make this happen? It's like, you know, I really just need a gaming system. <laughs> I just needed to make yeah. my own gaming system. Oh, that's good. That's, that is one of my favorite creation origin <laughs> stories. <laughs> 
it doesn't exist, so I'll make it exist. So Pretty much. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's a link we'll definitely have in the show notes then. Thanks again to Faye, Anna, and Jordan for being on the show. We didn't get to it in this half, but their links are in the show notes if you want to reach out and discuss anything so far. In the next half, we'll talk about playing disabled, neurodivergent, or chronically ill characters and what that means. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier mostly on Twitter at Modifier Podcast. We also have a Tumblr, Facebook, and G+, with varying levels of upkeep success, all under the same Modifier podcast name. You can email me directly with questions, comments, or show suggestions at modifierpodcast at gmail.com. Modifier is a proud member of the OneShot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts that include shows like OneShot, Campaign, Backstory, Adventure, Neoscum, System Mastery, and Talking Tabletop. Backstory is an ongoing series of interviews with some of the most compelling voices in the RPG and LARP community. Designers, organizers, scholars, and other fascinating folks join your host, Alex Roberts, for a deep dive into their current projects and visions for the future of role-playing. Find out more about all these shows at OneShotPodcast.com. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at CatGreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then. <laughs>